0: is He is risen. So if I say He is risen, you say, He is risen indeed. Very good. And we find that in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. And we'll come to that passage where there is the He is risen and the response, He is risen indeed. Here in Luke chapter 24, it's a glorious Resurrection Day, something that the church has been celebrating for nearly 2,000 years. And the first Easter, though, it was unlike any other Sunday that the believers had ever experienced or known. On that first Resurrection Sunday, the believers discovered that death could not hold Jesus as Christ was, is, victorious over the grave. And since that day, well, each resurrection celebration, it stands as a testimony of Jesus' finished work upon the cross, but also his resurrection from the grave, where he now not only offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, but he has done that, that we might know him, that we might be saved and find life in his name. So, the title of the message, He is risen, and we're going to go through most of Luke 24. Just the last few verses of the chapter actually speak more of 40 days later than this day. So, we'll break it off at verse 48. But verses 1 through 12, we're going to learn about the resurrection, 13 through 32. We're going to learn. The Redeemer of Israel, and then the Lord has risen indeed, verses 33 through 48. And you may notice in your notes that I had 35 written for the end verse of the second point, 13 through 35. is 13 through 32, and uh, it's real messed up on my notes here. But um, anyways, you start and frame out a sermon And then things kind of change as you develop it. And sometimes I miss some of those changes that I made. And that's what happened there. So we pick up in verses 1 and 2. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which had been prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So they is referring us back to chapter 23 verse 26 where we learn of the women who had watched Jesus who had been buried. They returned to their homes. They prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And so when they the ladies who had watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus, it's not that they did a poor job. Well, maybe from the women's perspective They did a bad job, obviously they did, because the ladies thought, no, 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 this will not do for our Lord. But scripture does tell us in the Gospel of John that they prepared and wrapped Jesus in a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. So um, they took time to prepare his body for burial, but apparently the ladies were planning on coming back to unwrap and redo what the guys had done. I'd mentioned this on Friday night, but, you know, sometimes our wives might come around and uh, redo what we have done, especially with flower arrangements and stuff. If I put the flowers out, uh, it's likely here at the church that Lily will tweak them and fix them. But I have always said personally, if without Lily and our home, I would have a house to live in. Lily makes it a home by all the touches that she puts in it. So I applaud the women for their uh, work and their love that they have for their children and for those that they love as well. And here we have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna in Scripture, tells us the four who came to the tomb that er- early morning. They left before sunrise. And when they arrived at the tomb, they actually had a discussion of who's going to roll away the stone. And uh, I used to think as a kid, a big boulder, and I've been to Israel, I have seen the garden tomb. I've read about the garden tomb. And uh, this is a, a tomb, and the Bible tells us it was hewn out of Rock, So it was hewn out of the limestone, this cave that was made for the purpose of being a burial tomb. And the stone was its door. And the stone itself was also carved out of the rock in front of the tomb. And it had a slot where you would roll the stone up to open the door and drop it in a niche at the top. And then you would roll it down and drop it. And it's always harder to roll a stone up than it is down. You just, once you get it going down, it'll go. But uh, going up, that's always more difficult. But the stone itself was about six to eight feet in circumference and about eight to 12 inches thick. So it could have weighed up to... A few, you know, a 1,000 pounds or maybe up to 2,000 pounds. So the lady saying, who's going to open the door? Who's going to roll up the stone? It makes a lot of sense for them to even wonder, how are we even going to do this? But they still went. Have you ever gotten in a situation where you're serving the Lord and you think, how in the world are we going to accomplish this? And yet you still go forth to serve. And then you realize that God, by His grace, helps you accomplish the things that you thought would be an impossibility. So the empty tomb, verses 3 through 5, they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord, so the tomb was already open when they arrived. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid... And bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the two men, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why did they seek the living among the dead? It's a good question, but I believe I I understand why. Because one, and the Lord will tell us this, that they did not remember the words of Jesus concerning his resurrection. And number two, they had witnessed his horrific death upon the cross. And the combination of those two things clouded their faith so that they could not believe. And many people since that time have had their faith clouded by Jesus' death because crucified or not, we all die. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. It's one for one. Everyone that, except for Jesus, and even Jesus died, but he rose again. One for one. If you've been born on this earth, you die. It's a guarantee. I know mankind is trying, especially those rich elites, trying to figure out how they can extend their life, and even now probably trying to, You know, it's all science fiction back then, but even now there's like, if I can only get my brain into a computer, I could live forever. And they are attempting to do that. But Jesus died, and they saw his horrific death, but they also had not remembered the words of Jesus. So the angel said, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you while He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered up to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Lord has promised His church even to this day the helper, the Holy Spirit, John fourteen twenty six, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance those things that I said to you. So right now we see the operation of the gift of the Holy Spirit working out in the women's lives that had come to the tomb on that early morning. They were reminded of the word of God. And then it's like, oh, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? They remembered what the Lord had said to them. So the Lord honored their faithfulness as they were up before sunrise, having gathered their supplies to care for the body of Jesus. It really revealed the great love that they had for the Lord. Jesus said to a Pharisee named Simon, so not Peter, but a Pharisee named Simon, In Luke 7, 47, he said, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so this Pharisee was condemning a sinful woman who had anointed the feet of Jesus. And from the time that the Lord entered into the Pharisee's house, she anointed his feet, she uh, washed his feet, she wiped his feet off with her hair. She wept and kissed his feet. And he said, she has been forgiven much. She loves much. And then he condemned the Pharisee, which was tradition in the Jewish households, that when you come into a house, my mom would be good on this tradition. You take the sandals off and The lowest servant of the house would wash the feet, get the dust from Israel off your feet before you drag all that dirt and dust into the house. But Jesus said, no one kissed me when I came in. Nobody greeted me with a kiss. Nobody anointed me with oil. No one washed my feet. And so the host of the house had failed in all three of these things. Why? Because he didn't have a great love for the Lord, but she did. The ladies here who came to the tomb on that early morning, in their great love for the Lord, even though it seemed an impossibility, who's going to roll away the stone? We have no idea, but we're going to go try anyways. First John four nineteen reminds us: we love Him because He first loved us. So nine through eleven, they returned from the tomb and told all these to the eleven. And all the rest, and it was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So we have a tendency to view the men and women of the Bible as being people of great faith, and sometimes they were, but often they were pretty much just like... You and me. Wanting to believe, but at times finding it difficult to believe. In fact, they shared what they had seen in the garden tomb, what the angels had told them, and for the rest of the disciples, the followers of Christ, it seemed like idle tales. It reminds me of the father of a child who was dying and he pleaded with the Lord to come and heal and the Lord said I will come your son lives and the father responded back to him I believe but help me in my unbelief have you ever had that struggle between the two Lord I have faith but help me in my unbelief that's how I view the people of scripture because they're they're like you and they're like me But I am glad that Jesus is willing to help us in our unbelief. So Peter, verse 12, he arose, he ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. So John tells us a little bit more about this. In his gospel, he said when they heard this report that both Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John, John never uses his name in his gospel. He's always the disciple whom Jesus loves. What a great way to describe a believer in Jesus Christ, to describe ourselves. It is that early children's song that we should never get out Of our heart, Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm the follower of Christ that Jesus loves. We were watching the video about the founding of the Calvary Chapel movement yesterday, Lily and I, what God hath wrought. And it was about a year, year and a half before Pastor Chuck went to be with the Lord. And I don't know if he had been diagnosed with lung cancer yet, but he looked strong in the video. But they had mentioned his second, the number two pastor in their church was Romaine. And Romaine was briefly mentioned, but around the Calvary Chapel movement, Chuck was grace and Romaine was the law and you did not want to get on the bad side of Romaine. And I found myself sometimes on the wrong side of Romaine, but also on the blessed side of Romaine as well. And I mention that because one time I heard one of the other Calvary pastors, they were driving out to an event with Romaine in in the car with them, and Romaine, they're driving out, and he said... Let's sing the best song. So they were singing worship songs as they were driving out to whatever event they were going to. And this rough 20-year Marine sergeant and then assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, this hard man to the guys especially, this hard man, he said, Let's sing the best song. And what did they sing? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. So John describes himself in his gospel as the disciple Jesus loves. He also tells us he outran Peter to the tomb. So he just got that in, a little dig on Peter. I was faster than Peter. I just want everybody to know that. But he looked in but did not go in. Peter, when he arrived in John's gospel, he ran right in. And he observed, just like Luke tells us, every detail. And even here, the cloth that wrapped his body and the cloth, the napkin over his face, being folded up and set there in the tomb. They were neatly folded up. But they walked out unsure. John said they believed. But what did they believe? In John 29, it says, as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So it could be that they believed what Mary had reported to them. John 20, verse 2, they have taken away the Lord and we do not know where they have taken him. So it could be that's what they believed. Yep, he's gone. We don't know where he's at. It could be that faith was beginning to bubble up in their hearts. Know this, that Jesus is still restoring the lives of those who look to him in life-saving faith. What well, we have in verses 13 through 32, the Redeemer of Israel. Now Luke shifts us over to two men who are heading to a village named Emmaus. Now behold, verses 13 through 16, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So here's the rundown so far. If you combine the Gospels, we have first that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to the other women. And sometime after that, to Peter. And later that day, he appeared to these two men as they were talking about the events that surrounded the crucifixion as they traveled toward Emmaus. The events that they'd heard about that morning that the tomb was empty, but they didn't know where the grave was, that people were reporting that he had risen from the dead. And Luke emphasizes two words. He said, they conversed and reasoned with one another. It meant that they were having a lively dispute with one another regarding these things. The Greek word translated as reason here means to investigate jointly, to seek or to examine together they were having a Bible study as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. They were like, let's rehearse this thing. What was the order of these things? What happened? And here we have Jesus coming alongside. They didn't know it was Jesus. This might be one of the clearest examples of Matthew eighteen twenty, where the Bible tells us where two or three are gathered together. I am there in their midst there were two and suddenly there were there was three jesus was with them now perhaps it was the scars that had jesus still carries that had blinded their eyes they did not recognize him maybe it was just supernaturally being restrained as mark 16:12 says he appeared in another form to the two of them as they walked and went into the country Well, 17 through 21, the first half of 21, Jesus said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And one, whose name was Clopas answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that had happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And so Jesus said, he's not only an excellent teacher but an excellent teacher is to kind of drag things out of students so you just don't tell them you ask them and cause them to kind of bring the thoughts forward and that's what that's a teacher thing there what things what are you talking about and so they answered him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God And all people and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. So the events surrounding Jesus's triumphal entry had filled Jerusalem with great hope. Many had recognized Jesus as a mighty prophet in word and deed before God and they had hoped that he was the promised Messiah and how devastating it must have been for them when their leaders condemned Jesus and then turned him over to Pilate that he might be crucified. After Jesus' ascension into heaven, when the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Gentiles and Barnabas at this time in Acts 13, 27 and 28, they're explaining there in Acts 13:27 and 28, For those who dwelt in Jerusalem, their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Do you hear that? They did not know the Messiah, nor did they know the voice of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Every Sabbath, they heard the word of God being proclaimed, but they had no understanding, no knowledge. They were just mere words. That's still happening in churches today. They did not know him, even the voices of the prophet, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. They, actually not knowing what they were doing, ended up fulfilling what was written about Jesus by condemning him to death. In verse 28 of Acts 13, and though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. So indeed, beside all these things, back to our text, Luke 24, 21, picking up in verse 21 through 24, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So those who had crucified Jesus, they had recalled what Jesus had said. They went to Pilate, the religious rulers went to Pilate and they said, we need to secure the tomb because we heard him say after three days, I'm going to rise again and So in their mind, the unbelieving religious rulers, if the disciples come and steal the body and say that he is resurrected, we'll have a bigger problem then than we have even now. And so Pilate told them, make the tomb as secure as you can. But no one knows the power of God, and they made it as secure as they could but never strong enough to outdo the power of God. So they took the measures. They sealed the tomb. They placed guards before it. And yet Jesus' own followers were astonished by the empty tomb, the reports of the angels who testified of his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection on the third day was something that he specifically told the twelve on three separate occasions. But obviously he told Others as well because the religious rulers knew of it. Here's one of those tellings in Matthew seven, twenty-two and 23. It says, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised up. And yet they were exceedingly sorrowful. Perhaps they did not believe that he had risen because they had seen his scourged body. They had seen his face that was beaten beyond recognition. They had seen the crown of thorns that was pressed upon his head, the nails that were driven into his hands and his feet, the spear that had been thrust into his side. They saw Jesus died. They put him in a tomb. They buried him three days earlier. No doubt these things help to play in, to cause them to be, as Jesus said, slow to believe. Here in verse twenty-five through twenty-seven, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And at the beginning And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. They foolishly doubted the reports of Jesus' resurrection because they did not believe all that the prophets had spoken. Perhaps this was because their expectations had been set upon the Messiah of the second coming and not the Messiah of the first coming. Jesus said, Ought not the Messiah suffer and die? They kind of did not get that point from Isaiah 53 and other passages. Uh, Psalm 22, another good passage that speaks about the suffering of Christ. They did not consider those things. They did not understand it. For the Jews today, even to this day, Isaiah 53 to them speaks about the nation of Israel and not the Messiah, where it says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now in times past... I have wished that Luke would have recorded what Jesus taught. Here we read that Jesus, from Moses to all the prophets, expounded to them all the scripture concerning himself. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a point-by-point, verse-by-verse message of Jesus Christ working through all the prophecies? That would have been quite a study. But I now understand That all that Jesus expounded to them, it's here. It's all right here. It's called the Old Testament of our Bible. Just a couple of weeks ago, or no, it was this week actually. Well, I guess it was last week since this is Sunday and it's the first day of the week. So, on Tuesday, I was talking to a brother who used to attend our church, lives in another state now, and talking about one of the family members and said that I don't even read the Old Testament anymore. Well, church, let me remind you that the Old Testament was the only testament that the early church had. There was no New Testament until the Holy Spirit descended upon the brothers who wrote what we have today, the New Testament, now combined with the two, it's great for us, but it's all there. And I think the Lord wants us to dig deep into his word, to study these things, to learn these things for ourselves. 28 through 32, as they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. So as they were coming to the village of Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was going to keep on walking. They compelled him. It's actually a word that means to be compelled by force, but really, come on, Lord, or they didn't know he was the Lord. So come on, man. It may have applied there. Stay with us for a while. And it came to pass, verses 30 and 31, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed and broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They knew that it was him and that he vanished from their sight. He took the bread, he blessed and he broke it. Did they see the nail scars in his hands? Was it the way that Jesus prayed? It's like, this is the Lord. Maybe there is no one in this world who has ever blessed and broke bread like Jesus. And they knew it was the Lord. Had they been there? Did they see the Lord bless and break the bread at the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000? Whatever it was, their eyes were open. They knew it was Jesus. And then Jesus just vanished from their sight. And then they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened scripture to us? So the Greek word for burn there means to set on fire. Their hearts were greatly moved. It kind of means as he opened, it means to reveal something that had been previously hidden. God said in Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-nine, Is not my word like a fire? Have you ever had the word of God just kind of kindle a fire in your heart? It's what it's meant to do. You know that Jesus is still opening blind eyes to the truth of those who seek him to this day. If the Lord is kindling that fire in your heart, Open your heart to the Lord. Let the Lord fill that with his spirit. So we pick up our last point. The Lord has risen indeed, verses 33 through 48. And we read 33 through 35. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So it was seven miles from Jerusalem, now seven miles back to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but it'd take me a while they found the eleven and those who were gathered together with them, so they knew where the church was meeting. And the Lord, they said, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And they told them about all the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So after... Going to Emmaus, they ran back to Jerusalem. The eleven there testified at this point, the Lord has risen indeed. that He has appeared to Simon. And then they shared their story about how they had seen the risen Savior. And yet they still doubted. In verses 36 through 39. Now as he said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And so he said to them, why is your heart troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So, they were talking about all the events that had taken place on that day. They believed that now, at least most of them, believed that the Lord had risen, but there was still this doubt, this confusion, especially when Jesus showed up. Peace be with you. It's like, what? We locked that door. We know the door was locked. And Scripture tells us that the door was locked. They were hiding because of the fear that they might be arrested, that they might be crucified. They'd seen what they had done to Jesus. So the church was really afraid at this point. They didn't know what to expect. So they were terrified and frightened, thinking that they'd seen a spirit. But Jesus said, why are you troubled? It means in the Greek, that word for troubled, to stir or to agitate. It's like waters that are churning. Why do doubts arise in you it's actually a greek word that refers to an internal debate or a questioning hesitation so their hearts were stirred up they were churned within them in hesitation and doubt but the lord called them to be of good cheer because of his work in our lives the lord said in mark 6 50 be of good cheer it is i do not be afraid And so he said, I'm not a spirit. See, touch me, handle me. He was saying, look at the nails in my hands, the scar on my side. That will happen with Thomas. So when he resurrected, he still bore the scars of his crucifixion. But he also said, I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and I have bone." He showed them his hands, his feet, and while they still did not believe, because of joy and marveled, he said to them, Do you have any food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate in their presence. So he proved to them, I'm not a spirit. Give me some food. Handle me. They hadn't handled him yet. Touch me. They hadn't touched him yet. And then he said, 44 through 45, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so basically covering the whole Old Testament there now, Once again, we have a second testimony of the importance of the Old Testament. And today in our churches today, we have so many people saying, no, I never read the Old Testament. That's old news. I want the good news, the new news. It's like, you're wrong. I don't think you can rightly understand the New Testament apart from understanding what's written in the Old Testament. So Jesus reprimanded them. And then he opened, verse 45, their understanding that they might comprehend Scripture. While referring to the law, the prophets, the Psalms, Jesus points us to the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus said in John five thirty-nine, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me. So what Scriptures could they search? the Old Testament, and they were able to be saved by what is written in the Old Testament and the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So the entirety of the Bible, when you combine it with the New Testament, here's what Don Stewart, he's a Calvary Chapel guy, a theologian in the Calvary Chapel movement, although he doesn't look like a theologian. He's an old hippie that I last time I saw him physically teach he had a Greek new testament and he was translating on the fly and I was following along with him in my bible so brilliant man but he wrote this about the combination of both the old and new testament The message of the entire Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament looked forward to his coming. The Gospels recorded his appearance. The book of Acts relates the propagation of his message. The New Testament letters explain his two comings. And finally, the book of Revelation reveals all all things consummated in Christ. jesus has fulfilled all the prophecies concerning his first coming he will fulfill all the prophecies concerning his second coming but these things have to be revealed to us you can study it you can have a word knowledge of the bible but apart from the holy spirit opening your mind to have understanding the jews the unbelieving jews of jesus's day We already read every day they read the scripture in their synagogues, but they didn't understand the word. That's because 1 Corinthians 2.14 teaches us the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you need that work of God's spirit in your heart to have that understanding of God's word. Thankfully, through faith in Jesus Christ, that is exactly what Jesus had promised for his church, that the Spirit would be with us, in us, and come upon us. So 46 through 48, we finish out. Then Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus said, this was necessary. Now go out and preach it to the world. And that's exactly what the early church did. And that's exactly what the Lord has called us to do. My word to you today is: Don't be foolish and slow a heart to believe. Believe. So I pinned this a few years ago, and I kind of tweaked on it in the last few days. And close out with a poem as best as this guy can write a poem. And I don't even have a title for it, so I'm very poor. Very poor poem writer. you got to have a title, right? The Lord is risen indeed, though much of the world disbelieves. His body was bruised for our iniquity. His soul became an offering for our sins. And though He was laid in the tomb where a stone sealed Him in, no grave could hold the Holy One who holds all life in his hands. Now he has made his, uh, his eternal life available to all who believe in him. And Father, we thank you that you have made eternal life available To all who believe in you, that you have risen from the grave, that you have ascended to the right hand of the Father and the church around the world gathers to celebrate these truths today. I pray today, Lord, if there are those who have been slow of heart, foolish to believe that today they would be those who believe and receive you as the Lord and Savior of their hearts. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.